Well, good evening. Welcome to our Wednesday night community. Um, as we always say, feel free to get up. This is an informal setting, so you can feel free to go grab some more coffee or uh, cookies or whatever else we, we might have back there. In fact, I heard we even have some sweet tea, which is one of my favorites in life. Um, not as good as McAllister's sweet tea, but I think it's still pretty good. And um, some lemonade back there. So hopefully you'll make <clears throat> go through it all so we don't have to throw it away here this evening. Um, we, we've been looking at in this series what, what exactly wisdom is. Wisdom's kind of this ethereal word, this concept that sometimes we know what it looks like in someone's life better than we can always maybe define it or give a really solid definition or explanation for it. But um, when we think about wisdom, we have to be sure that we know what it's not. It, it, it's not just information. Right? Because there's, I mean, there's tons of information out there. I don't know if we're necessarily a wiser culture. Um, I did some research this week and, and found out that, that today, users on Twitter are sending more than 200 million tweets per day, which equals out to 2,315 tweets per second. Ton, tons of information. And, you know, Proverbs is sort of like the Twitter book of the Bible. It's, it's these short little 140-character statements or less sometimes. But you know, the amount of information in our culture is absolutely enormous. Um, internet communication produces enough to fill, listen to this, 7 million DVDs every hour. That's the amount of internet communication taking place right now. Um, with annual consumption predicted in the next year, 2015, the, the, uh, it's predicted that, that we will consume uh, 966 exabytes. I don't even know what an exabyte is. That sounds big, though. I think it's enormous. Information is huge, and yet we still kind of suffer in our culture from maybe a wisdom deficit, like we've been talking about each week. So wisdom involves information, but it's like way more than just information. Now, you also might think, well, well, what about morality? What about kind of, you know, moral principles and, you know, living the good life? Isn't, isn't wisdom being a good person, telling the truth? Yes, it is. But it's like way more than that, too. I mean, think about it. You could, out of a desire to, let's say, help a family out of poverty, uh, you might say, man, I want to I really help this family. I'm gonna, uh, and with the very best intentions, you might go about very ethically saying, I'm going to get this family out. And in the process, you ruin their lives. If you don't understand the complexities of culture and society and how it works and what's the best way to do it and all that sort of thing. So wisdom is more than information, but it's also more than just moral principles or moral rules in that way. Here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowing the right thing to do in the 80% of life for which rules don't apply. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that true? The majority of our life is things that we need wisdom for. Not always, now we need to hold within moral rules and moral guidelines needs to follow that. We need to be informed. But wisdom has this ability to navigate between all those. Sometimes I've got four or five different options and they're all equally acceptable. They're all morally uh, acceptable. But I need to have wisdom to know which is the right one because in every area of my life in in work in love in relationships in 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 finances in hiring and whatever it might be if i don't make wise decisions i will blow up my life 
and I will blow up the lives of the people around us. So let's look at this. First off, let's look at how the Bible speaks of the wise life. Because we keep going back to that. Wisdom's ethereal, but when it's in a life, that's, that's more concrete. So let's look at what a wise life looks like. And um, I want us to read Proverbs chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or if you have your tablet or smartphone, go to Proverbs chapter 4. And I want to look at verses 10 through 19. Now, as we read this, uh, if you have your Bibles, maybe a Markham or something. But here... Here's what I want you to look for as we're reading this. There's a, there's a metaphor, there's a picture that is all throughout Scripture the most dominant metaphor for what life is like, the wise life. And it's this idea of, of a pathway. And listen to how much it comes up in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10. Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight, and here's this idea, along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Do not set a foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way for they cannot rest until they do evil they are robbed of sleep till they make someone stumble they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence the path of the righteous is like the morning sun shining ever brighter till the full light of day but the way or we could say the path of the wicked is like deep darkness they do not know what makes them stumble and what's interesting is the authors of the Bible all throughout constantly speak of, of life, whether it be the foolish life, the wise life, as this idea of, of, a, of a pathway, of a road, of a trail. We think maybe it's probably you know, something closer to that in our culture, the idea of you know, going on a hike or a trail up in the foothills. Jesus even picks this up in Matthew chapter 7 when he's speaking of life and this idea of everything you do leads you in a direction. In Matthew 7:13, Jesus says, "Enter through the narrow path. For wide is the path, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many people enter it. But but small is the road. Narrow is the path that leads to life, and only a few people find that one. This this path, this pathway, is the dominant picture, the dominant metaphor all throughout Scripture of what it means to live the wise life, to live the foolish, whatever." foolish life, whatever it might be. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take three minutes, and around your table, I want you to talk about kind of something related to this idea of path or where we go. Talk about, and just in 30 seconds or less, we're going to take three minutes to do this, what, what is the worst trip or vacation you have ever been on? Okay, The worst trip or the worst vacation you've ever been on, and a real quick quiet, like what what happened on that, okay? Three minutes, and then we'll pull back together.
Okay. It sounds like you guys have some crazy stories. I, I heard like a couple little tidbits, and it was it sounded a little it sounded a little nutty. I was talking to um, one of my friends on staff here, and he was he came back from a from a Hawaii trip. This is like about a month and a half ago, and, and he came back, and I'm like, "So are you rested? Good stuff." And and he just went on this ongoing story. He's like, "My mother-in-law broke her ankle, and then we go to the hospital, and the insurance would cover. We had to drive to this side of the island, and that's that." It was just like disastrous sort of trip. But as we think about as we think about trips destinations going so often our expectations are man it's going to be this way and yet the reality is all these things come into play that we didn't expect we didn't want we didn't ask for and and we say man how do we deal with this how do we navigate it and i think maybe that's why throughout scripture some seven to eight hundred times the authors keep going back to this idea your life is like that your life is a pathway it's this long trip that that you're going to go on but when you think about why, why do you suppose the biblical authors keep coming back to this idea of a pathway that, that life is like? I think there are a couple different reasons, a couple things that I think of. First, think about how, how walking a path is accomplished. Think about that. If you go on a hike, for instance, it's accomplished by a, a steady, repeated, sometimes mundane, sometimes boring, ongoing actions. So you're not going to make progress on a hike if, if, if you're leaping down the path, if you're doing somersaults or cartwheels down the path, because you can't keep up that pace. You just can't do it if you're going on for miles and miles. If you're going on for miles and miles, you go right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, repeatedly, steady, ongoing. And if you do it over and over and over again, you're going to get somewhere. That's the way a path, that's the way a hike Works. So according to the Bible, that's the wise life. According to the Bible, what really makes you who you are, meaning who you become. Remember we talked to that the other week saying wisdom is about who we become. It's not just getting things right like a test. Who you become, according to the Bible, is basically a product of how you do the little things every day. That's it. Who you become is basically the product of how you do the little tiny things every day. Every little choice you make, all the little attitudes that you allow to take place, all the little thoughts that you are willing to entertain, all the disciplines, basically every, everything you spend your time doing is that shaping. It's, it's not the dramatic events that, that really shape your life. Those are the ones that we remember. Those are the ones we talk about. But it's the right foot, left foot. Right foot, left foot. So when the Bible calls a wise life a pathway, it means you, you will become wise by assuming a certain set of daily practices. And we all have them. It's not like, oh, I'm going to do and I don't. We all have them. <laughs> They're just either good, healthy, you know, in a, you know, unhealthy, whatever it might be. They're all over the map. We all have daily practices. But whatever that regimen is, whatever that... that pattern is that that cadence is in your life that's going to shape the pathway that you're on in life so the wise person adopts certain regular repeated practices that again you do them over and over eventually you're going to realize that you've become a wise person or are becoming a wise person so here's the big idea here wisdom is a pathway not a door Wisdom is a pathway, not a door. See, our modern, 
Western technologically advanced culture that we're in tells us that, that the wise life, the good life, it's, it's more like a door. Um, and here's how the door picture works. There's a door, and if you have the right key, you, you, you just turn the key and you enter the door, and there you are. You're in the wise room. You're in the wisdom room. You know, that's, all, that's all really that, that it takes. And the key is always um, something, you know, it's a secret knowledge or it's some experience that you have to have. It's some seminar that you have to go to. It's a couple tapes you need to listen to. It's this book. It's always some key that you have to use, and then all of a sudden you're there. You've arrived. You're, you're wise. No. Wisdom, don't, don't be fooled by that. Wisdom is a pathway. It's a long, patient quest where you simply do mundane things over and over and over, right, left, over a long period of time, and that's wisdom. So wisdom can never be achieved quickly. It'll never happen that quickly. And see, this critiques, if you think about it, this view critiques our Western culture. Go, go into any bookstore and you're going to find books, some of the hottest sellers typically, and hundreds and hundreds of them, which say things like, you know, the three keys to this, right? The five steps for this. They're offering keys. Now, here's, here's what I mean by key. I mean a technique. It's just offering a technique. Um, and I would suggest this even works its way into, into the church, into Christian culture, into our theology as we think about that. Um, many, many people, you know, we probably all heard, we all hear this in our life, I hear this here, where people come and say, I, I want to find God's will for my life. And usually what that means is I've got to make a big decision and I've got to pull the trigger on like, you know, what should I do? And so, and so they say, oh, you know, I've got to make a big decision. I'm trying to discern the will of God. And so I say, okay, well, like, how are you doing that? And they go, well, like, I mean, some people say you pray for peace, right? Because, that, you know, if, if you pray for this option and I don't have peace, and then I pray for this option, I do have peace, I mean, I should want, you know, God would give me peace, right? So isn't, isn't peace the thing, you know, that I would want to do? That's what I'm trying to get. Other people will say, well, I'm asking God for a sign. You know, and last week this, this, this thing happened, there was this thing, and I, you know, do you think that's a sign? Could that be like a sign, you know, from God? Or other people will say, you know, what I do is I pray, and then, and then I just say, okay, God, I'm in, you know, I really want to do well. And then, and then I open the Bible, and I, and I say, oh, Lord, help me, you know, direct me, tell me what to do. And I, and I put my finger down, and, and, and God will guide me through that. And so they'll, you know, they'll do something like open it, put their finger down, and, and read, Judas went out and hanged himself. And you go, okay, well, okay, I'm going to give God a second chance. I said, <clears throat> and so I, I'm going to do a different one here. You know, and they do this, and they go, uh, go and do likewise. Okay. Well, that's a coincidence, I'm sure. Third time's a charm. I'll, tr- I'll, I'll try one more. And so, you know, do this. And, um, and what thou doest, do quickly. Um, and typically what I'll say is, you know, you've got a brain. Make a wise decision. Go through the hard work of making a decision. Just make a decision. And oftentimes the response will be like, I'm trying to be spiritual here. And what I oftentimes want to say is, no, you're not trying to be spiritual. You're looking for a technique. You're looking for a key. You're understanding the wise life to be a door that you need some technique. It might be, oh, I need to feel peace, or it might be I need to do something magical with my Bible, or it might be I look for an event. You're looking for a technique 
to make the decision for you so you don't have to do the hike, the path, the right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. So, okay, what are the steps then? What's the right foot? What's the left foot? Well, let's... That's, that's what this whole series is about, is looking at what are those steps, the right foot, the left foot, that we take on that path to wisdom. Um, I want you to take a look at a video to kind of introduce one of those steps that, that I want to talk about here for the rest of, our, rest of our time together, wise counsel. Take a look at this. Wise counsel. It's, it's really easy to find uh, bad advice, bad counsel, poor wisdom coming our way, but Here's the point. Here's the point for this evening. One of those ways, we've been looking at a lot of them all throughout the series. One of those, uh, we've been looking at a lot of different steps, but one of them is this idea of am I getting wise advice? One of, one of the most intriguing Old Testament stories to me is one that takes place in 1 Samuel 15. I'm not going to read the text because it takes place in chapters 15, 16, and 17. It's this longer story. <clears throat> um, King David, at one point in his life, as he's getting a little bit older, he's got a son named Absalom. And Absalom is this, he's this handsome guy, uh, he, he's, he's well-liked. And in a day and age where a king stood on the throne until they died, there were no elections, Absalom has the desire to take over, and he goes out and he's courting people. He's standing at the entrance as people come out of the courts, and he's saying, oh, what was the decision? Oh, I'm so sorry, if I were king, I would sure things do, I would do things differently. And so he, he's, he slowly wins and acquires the heart of a whole nation, Israel. And then he, he, uh, he, uh, he performs a coup, and his father David is on the run, like, just like he was many, many years ago. Remember, King Saul was chasing him as a young man, but now he's an old man, and he's on the run again out in the desert. <clears throat> and Absalom is, is reigning. And there's this guy named Ahithophel. Isn't that a great name? I wish your middle name were Ahithophel. Ahithophel is a guy who's been on David's council, and he's considered like one of the wisest people who has ever helped a king rule. And what's interesting is Ahithophel, kind of, he kind of judges. He goes, let's see, I'm going to throw in my lot with Absalom. So he leaves David, and he goes with Absalom. And David is just freaked out. He's worried because he goes, I am a dead man. Ahithophel is the wisest man. He understands military strategy. He understands what to do. If, if Absalom listens to Ahithophel, this is done for me. Absalom will, will rule. And so what David does is he takes one of his men, Hushi, and he says, I want you to pretend that you've also defected. And I want you to go into the court of Absalom. And whatever Hithophel says, you better say the opposite. You better sell Absalom or we're dead. And so Hushai goes into the court. And at one point, Absalom's going, okay, what should we do? My father's on the run. Should, should I go get him? Or, or when should I get him? That's the question. Should we go out and attack him now? And Ahithophel says, this is the time. He's weak. He's on his heels. We need to go. You've got power behind you. This is the time to take it. And Hushai steps in and he goes, no, 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 no. Are you kidding? Absalom, two thoughts. And he plays on number one, <clears throat> this idea of his insecurity. Actually, first he plays on his vanity. He says, you know what? Um, everyone loves you. I mean, think about it. You've won a whole nation over from David, the most beloved king. Every, you're popular. People aren't going to defect to him. You don't need to worry about it. Number two, think about who you're going after. David. Do you remember how David survived out in the desert? Saul, the great king, the first king, couldn't even find him. 
So this guy knows the desert. This, this would be like us talking about Vietnam. Like, we're not going on their territory. They know how to do this. We're not going to attack it. This is David's territory. Don't mess with that now. Let him heal. He's going to get tired, and then he's going to come to you, and all the people will be on your side, and you're going to strike him down. And he plays on Absalom's insecurity by saying he knows way more than you do about that area. And he plays also on his vanity and says, everyone loves you. And Absalom goes, I like what you're talking about. And Ahithophel, this is what we have in the story, Ahithophel goes like this. He leaves, opens the door, goes home and kills himself. Because he knows eventually he's done. He knows that's not wise advice. And he knows it could be a week, it could be a couple years, but eventually my head will be taken off by David's sword anyway. I'm a goner. He understood the power of wise counsel. And he understood the destructive power of foolish counsel. Proverbs 15:22. Listen to this. And of course, Proverbs, many of them are written by David's other son, Solomon. He saw this. He understood this well. He grew up in a home which he saw it all played out. In Proverbs 15:22, plans fail for lack of counsel. I wonder if Solomon was thinking of Ahithophel. But with many advisors, they succeed. So here's the question that I want to ask tonight. What's it going to take for you, for me, to be the kind of people who seek wise counsel? Um, and I just want to walk through a couple points. Before that, let me, let me make a comment about the word seek. In order for us to be people who, who seek, we have to aggressively seek. I don't mean like, I, oh yeah, I agree that wise counsel is a good idea. You know, lots of times we give ourselves kind of, you know, potential credit for like, yep, I'm for that. <laughs> I think wise counsel is a good idea. No, 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 no. I'm talking about actually doing. Like aggressively seeking wise counsel in your life. But these are the kinds of things that we need. Number one, you need to place yourself into community. Um, you know what, maybe I'll just, let me write a couple of these up here. You have to place yourself into community. You know, um, that's actually one of the reasons why we're in tables. I know some of you are like, you know, the extreme introverts, and you, you hate this, and you want to go back to a row so you could look at the back of someone's head. Um, but here's the reality. We can go weeks in, in, in church, which means community, months, years, staring at the back of someone's head, the same person, and never really get into any sort of a relationship, messy or not, never get into any kind of a relationship. Because the reality is, the back of that head might, might be someone who could change your life if you were actually looking into their face. The back of that head could be someone who could become your best, your, your best friend. The back of that head could be someone through whom you go through, you walk through a huge crisis in your life. That head could be someone who, who prays for you. Might even be someone who, who, through God, opened doors of possibility that you never even imagined. You never know. You never know if all you ever see, though, is the back of that head. So you have to place yourself in community. That's why we talk about small groups. 
here so often. That's why ministries are going on. We've got, I think, like 200 different ministry activities in this building every week. And there's hundreds more outside of this building. It doesn't just have to happen here. But people who place themselves into a context of community, and again, it's messy at times. People say things that bother you and offend you, and you offend them. And they, but it's that context through which God said, I'm going to grow you. He, he really did. When you got Christ, you got his body. And the most dangerous thing in the world is to think that Lone Ranger Christianity works. We've talked about this before, the idea that I need other minds to shape mine because mine isn't perfectly shaped in any way. Second thing I would say that we need is humility. For me to really aggressively go after wisdom, I need to have Humility. Uh, there, was a, there was a Harvard study done that I read about which, which looked at how seeking advice or soliciting advice from others, um, what exactly th- that did in the, in the relational dynamics, what it did to the person who, who was being asked as well as the person who was asking. And what they, what they saw is that people don't tend to seek advice. One of the largest reasons was because they think it's going to make them look incompetent. Okay? Like a complex task, they're going to go, it might be in a workplace, it might be uh, home, it, it might be school. And the idea is, if I go and I say, I need your advice. Now, this isn't, this isn't help request, it's not money, this is advice request, okay? counsel request. And, and the biggest hesitancy by all the people who were, who were asked was, people will think I'm incompetent, they will think I'm not smart enough. And what's really interesting is this, this is one of their findings here. However... Concerns about appearing incompetent were misplaced. While potential advice seekers may avoid seeking helpful advice because they fear creating a negative impression, meaning you're going to think something badly of me. Seeking advice may actually boost impression management. That's not that that's what we want to be about in church, but we're just reading this stat here. Impression management by increasing perceptions of competence. What they found out is that when a person came to someone else and they said, I need your wise advice, when that person, the advisor later was asked, what do you think about them? They had a more highly favorable view of their competence. They said, that person's on the ball. That person's smart. Now, there were a lot of reasons. Looked at Number one, there's a flattery aspect because the person thought, well, the person thinks I'm, I'm competent, which that, that makes me think they're pretty smart. They can you know, pick out a good apple. Whatever the reason is, when we seek counsel, when we seek advice, we are understood, and I don't just mean understood, it, it is actually objectively a sign of wisdom. But in the community, communally, people think that person is sharp. Why? Because they're asking good questions, because they know their own limitations. They have an element of humility that they don't think, well, I've got it all, I've got it all wrapped up together. Some of the people that I respect the most are people who, who started a job almost accidentally, and it started going really, really well, like, I mean, taken off hugely. And their first, their first thought was, I better find someone uh, who knows more about this than I do, because I'm not sure what I'm doing. It wasn't just like, this is great, I'm set, I'm good. What they said is, I better figure out what's going on so I can maintain this and so that I can get better. That was their first response, because they... They understood this, or they had this sense of, I don't have it all together. They had a sense of their own um, inadequacies. Um, second, or a third one here, uh, don't just go to someone for advice because you think they will agree with you. Uh, I'm just going to write 
I don't really have a good word for this. They, they, will, they will possibly disagree with you is what I mean by that. Not that they're for sure going to disagree with you. Have you ever talked to someone and they come to you for advice? Hey, uh, what should I do in this? And you kind of get the impression that they've talked to like multiple other people, but they just haven't heard what they wanted to hear. And they, and they kind of come to you and they're essentially, they've already made their mind up on what they're going to do. But they want to have someone endorse that. Because, I don't know, internally it makes them feel a little bit better about doing it, maybe. Or maybe they can blame it on someone else later. But it gives them the sense, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. And so they've already made their mind up. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people where they've, where they've come into my office, we've had coffee or whatever, and they've said, um, boy, I'm thinking about marrying this person. Or I'm thinking about taking this step. I'm, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you, you know, what do you think? And so, you know, ask questions, explore, dig. And it seems pretty clear pretty quickly that's a foolish decision. Sometimes it's even just an immoral decision. It goes against biblical principles. And when I tell them, I see really quickly the response is just that's not what I was hoping to hear. It wasn't true wisdom. And that's a, a great question to ask. When you go to someone and ask, ask yourself this question before you meet with someone. And again, be, be brutally honest. Do you really want to hear the truth, even if it is in the absolute opposite direction of what you want to do. Because many of us, self-delusion is very powerful, and, and we don't even see it. We don't even oftentimes see our blind spots. Choose someone who seems wise enough, mature enough, to be able to point out aspects of what it is that you're wrestling with that you just you haven't taken into account. Someone who might disagree with you or even rebuke you. Proverbs 9, 7 reads this, whoever corrects a fool invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Um, let, me, let me make one comment about this. Um, are you easily offended? If someone comes to you and says something about how you handled a situation, what you're doing, your parenting style, something, a conversation that went on at work, an email that you sent, something happened. Do you have thin skin? Do you kind of bristle and right away you just kind of go back, I can't, how, sort of a how dare they. That's sort of in your mind, regardless of how you come off. Are you easily offended? Um, let, let me give you a biblical admonition. Work hard at not being offended. I mean, work hard at it. And ask God to point it out in your lives. God, am I, am I too easily offended at this? Proverbs eighteen nineteen. it says that a hardened heart, you know, someone who's like not really willing to hear the truth, um, it warns that a person who, who has a hardened heart against criticism is more unyielding than a fortified city. Isn't that huge? More unyielding than a fortified city. If you're easily offended, you don't even know it. But you're so unteachable. You are so unwilling to learn. Now, you'll say, oh, of course I want to learn. No, you want to learn what you want to learn or how you want to learn it. But ask yourself that question. Because, see, there are lots of people I know who, who one of their hesitancies, and this, maybe this goes back to the humility piece, about saying, I want to listen to wise advice, I want to get counsel, is they've essentially built up these walls around them that they, they almost can't hear 
uh, truths in their life. It could be a wall of kind of just extreme competence. I know it all. You know those people who just, oh, they have all the answers. They know what to do. They don't, they don't need advice. That's a wall. You know why? Because if you by chance got inside past that wall, deep insecurity. Deep insecurity about who they are, about decisions they've made, about their value, about their worth, whatever. But that's a wall that they put up to say, I don't, I don't need advice or I'm not willing to get it because I already sort of understand it. Sometimes it's anger. The person becomes very angry when you confront them. That's the wall. Sometimes it's hurt. Oh, you've hurt my feelings. How could you say that? That's that easily offended. Ask, ask, this, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, God, what, what are my responses when I'm criticized? Do I get angry? Do I get hurt? Do I, what do I do that's unhealthy? Because we probably all do something. So here's the question. Who rebukes you? If you don't have a name that pops into your mind, that's a dangerous reality. Who rebukes you in your life? Who in your life feels comfortable enough to rebuke you? It's kind of what that goes back to. Uh, one of the men who I respect deeply in my life who I don't know but I respect from a distance is Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels is the senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church. He's a, he's a phenomenal entrepreneur. This, this guy runs an organization masterfully. He, he has a wonderful business mind, a great leader, strategic planning. This guy, this guy is brilliant. He also has a deep heart for the Lord. And Heibels is one of these guys who, he's kind of been known to be a little aggressive, kind of like a bull in a china shop. Here's what I want to do, I want to get things done, and, and that sort of thing. And Heibels tells the story one time that uh, at a time when he's running this mega church with multiple locations and 25,000 people, and, and he said, I was, uh, when I would come to church real fast, I needed to go get something. He said, I would park in this no parking zone, just real quick. I'd park there around, get something, come back. And uh, he said, one of the guys on the facilities team one time talked to me, he said, Pastor Bill, I got to tell you, that's not okay because we say that that's a rule around here is not to park there. And when you do that, it kind of makes it, it sends a bad message. And Heibel said, he said, to this day, I thank God for that man. He said, because I, as I look back, he said, I didn't see it then. But as I look back, there was something starting to grow in my heart, just tiny. I didn't even, I wasn't aware of it consciously, but it sort of, I sort of felt like I don't need to obey all those rules. I'm kind of above him. He would never consciously say that, but he said that's what was going on at a heart level. And I thought, man, I respect this guy so much more because he accepts a rebuke from someone that he could say, you're done. You're fired, right? But he even tells it. He says, this guy, this guy saved me. It was an incremental tiny thing, but we'll, he understands it's a pathway. And I was incrementally, tiny, tiny little bit off there. So don't look for someone... Uh, last thing I would say is um, don't look for someone to just make your decisions for you. Uh, this is the danger. You know, there's always dangers and good things. <laughs> the danger and the good thing of seeking wise counsel is sometimes I seek guidance um, just to take the stress and the tension off of the decision I have to make because it's a hard decision. And so if I can just relieve that a little bit, that's really why I'm seeking guidance. The point or the value of seeking wise counsel um, isn't to remove your responsibility. It's not to remove my responsibility. It's to give me additional data 
that I wouldn't have otherwise, and it's to give me a perspective that I wouldn't have otherwise. But, I mean, don't you wish that there were like an app, you know, that you could just be like, you could just enter in all the relevant data. Here's what I'm doing. I'm talking to this person. What should I do? And it, it just sort of spits it out. There's some cool, you know, matrix sort of thing. And it just, it just tells you what to do. Well, oftentimes we can kind of treat people like that too if we go too far with this wise counsel thing. I don't take any responsibility. I don't do the hard work of the, the pathway thing, the right, left, right, left, prodding, you know, going on day after day, moment by moment. I just want someone to make that decision for me. Plus, that way, if it goes wrong, well, that's kind of nice, right? Because then I can blame them. I can say, well, it was really their suggestion. I shouldn't have listened to them. See, if, if 